Hi everyone, welcome to the second episode of Relay Essay. I'm your co-host with the mostness, Nadia Rosemont, and I'm with... Adam Kewen. Yay! Relay Essay is a podcast that celebrates and discusses student affairs within Canada. Um, we interview student affairs professionals, and the Relay part is that they kind of recommend... Um, to people that we should interview, and therefore passing the baton and continuing the relay of podcast interviews. Yeah, and so our interview today for episode two um, is with Ian Cull, who is out west uh, and works at UBCO, and was passed along the baton from the interview we did a couple of episodes ago with Mark Solomon and Amy Gockel. So he was among the folks that they suggested we should speak to. So the best part about this is that we reached out to Ian and it just happened that he was going to be in Toronto for a Whoa, conference that's and good. at the conference he had like a 45 minute window that we could go. So I hopped in an Uber, went down to um, the hotel that the conference was being hosted at and we just snuck into a random conference room and were able to have our conversation. It was phenomenal. It was like, I was just so grateful that in his very busy time of trying to get in and out of Toronto for this conference mm-hmm. that we're able to squeeze in some time for this interview. That's good. Yeah, so I hope everyone really likes it, because I certainly enjoyed the conversation. I will declare that I'm not the type to have any yes. It's worth all the shares, the number one podcast student affairs. Want to hear what they have to say, along with all the guests that have been on the way. Without further delay, it's me, they, yes, they. My name is Ian Cull. Ian Cull, and you were passed along, uh, indicated by uh, an interview with Mark and Amy that you are someone that we should talk to you, and so I'm so glad that we were able to find the time. That's uh, That's great. Um, and so we're currently chatting. Where? Why don't you describe where we currently are? We so we are in a meeting room in the Ramada or the Radisson Harbor Front, Queens Quay, Toronto, Ontario. Yeah, and we just found like a little bit of time between your uh, conference and, and work just to find a quick time to chat, so I'm really grateful for, for the time and the opportunity. Um, usually we start at the very beginning, so where are you from originally? Uh, so I was uh, born in uh, Sturgeon Falls, Ontario, and uh, my family uh, is from uh, Dokis First Nation, okay. and... Um, I spent my time uh, between Sturgeon and uh, Dokies. Uh, we would spend the school year in town so that we could go to school in town. And then in the summers, we would go to the res and live, live the good life. Right. Yeah. And then eventually, I'm sure we're skipping a couple of years, but we, you, did, you, did you undergrad at McMaster, right? Yeah, so I did an undergraduate degree at McMaster. Uh, I was... Um, a very average, unmotivated student in high school. Okay. Uh, but um, I uh, went to McMaster essentially to play volleyball. Right. And by sheer accident, uh, became an accomplished university student over time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're a varsity volleyball player, so a varsity athlete. I was, once upon a time. And that was, was that, were you involved in other things on campus, or was, I imagine that was taking up quite a bit of That was about so, it. Yeah. Um, um, the whole going to university was um, uh, a really surreal experience. Okay. Uh, so there were more, more people living in my residence building than were in my high school. Right. What was and, that like? Uh, it was very odd. Um, so we had already... Um, from the time I was little, my mother talked about all of us going to university, myself and my two sisters. Um, and that was, as we grew up, just a given fact. You're all going to go, you're all going to go, you're all going to go. Um, but she didn't finish high school, and so she really hadn't, she didn't know what she was committing us to. She just knew that in order for us to have a better life, we needed to be educated, and, and this was her mission in life, was to get her kids uh, a degree, um, and I remember her dropping us, dropping me off, you know, uh, at Mac, uh, lived in Wooden Hall, okay. and uh, uh, 
she's just not knowing what to do. Like, what do we, what do we do? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the whole process of filling out the OSAP forms and the application forms was just, we sort of did the best that we could, but uh, none of them were completed properly, and right. it was just, just a mess. Um, the oldest siblings? I'm the oldest sibling. The, uh, I was the, the path, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, my middle sister uh, went to Fanshawe, okay. and my youngest sister followed me to McMaster. Okay. And uh, yeah, we've all done well. Um, but yeah, university was uh, just a whole experience that you couldn't have anticipated. Like, there was no, nothing in my life had prepared me for that experience. Um, but it was a wonderful experience, and I just fell in love with universities, and I fell in love with learning, and I fell in love with an environment that um, was all about uh, the new, right. and exploration, and growing, and growing up, yeah. and it was pretty awesome. Do you have any favorite moments? I think everyone has a highlight reel sometimes of their, their undergrad. Is there any moments uh, that are in your... Um, one of the, the really powerful pieces for me was, in fact, meeting people from around the world. Right. Um, so I'd never met a black person before. And the, before the yeah, and there was a fellow across the hall from Antigua who I became very good friends with, right? Uh, and the fellow, another guy from Colombia, um, and just that whole, in some ways uh, similar, but in other ways really different, right? right. Uh, food and music are the things, the, the two things I remember most about about uh, these 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 relationships, um, and um, uh, so that was pretty pretty exciting. Um, and, but just also um, how hard it was to learn to navigate your life. Nothing was familiar. You had no one to ask. You had, uh, didn't really feel you fit in right away. It took a long time to feel like I fit in. I don't know what I would have done if it wasn't for sport because I sort of had a cohort, right? And, and a literal team. And like literal team, yes, right. And so you had an identity and you had a structure. Like the structure of sport was really helpful to me. Mm -hmm. um, I knew every day what I was supposed to do. Right. Um, and, if, and you had to do it. Like it was, um, and so I, I, that sustained me. Right. Um, but if, I don't know what would have happened to me if I didn't have that structure. So then, when you were completing your undergrad at McMaster, did you have a sense of what was next, or...? No, so I, my undergraduate degree uh, is in anthropology and archaeology. Okay. Um, uh, and I chose that field of study simply because I wanted to know what... What did the white folks know about my people? Like, I knew... I had oral histories, and I knew what that said. Right. But what did the archaeological record and the genetic record and the uh, uh, what did that have to add right. to what I knew about us right. um, so that was uh, that was my motivation okay. and it, it was and some of it was quite fascinating and some of it was really awful right. <laughs> um, you know being the object of study is always a really creepy experience well, and that's what, um, in doing some reading and the experience of um, being in a classroom, hearing someone lecture you about your yeah. experience, that's got to be a bit of a trip. It was. It was, it was, it was very, uh, uh, I was welcoming it because I really wanted, I really wanted to know this, particularly the science. Like, right. you know, uh, what was the genetics? What was the physical anthropology? What could we know about how our economic systems work based on archaeological sure. experience, right? But the social anthropology stuff mm -hmm. was very bizarre. Okay. Um, and, um, um, uh, yeah. Uh, so that was great. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed 
that study. Uh, and then I worked for a very short period of time as a survey archaeologist. Um, but it, um, it really wasn't how I wanted to spend my life. And I was lost. I didn't know what to do. Right. Uh, so a friend of mine was working for uh, an organization that um, had took kids in care, uh, mostly from the Toronto area. And there was a summer out-tripping program. So okay. a little bit like Outward Boundy, yeah. Outward Bound. Okay. And then in the winter they had a school. Nice. And so I worked uh, as uh, an out-tripper in the summer and I worked in the school as a recreation person in the winter. Um, and I became fascinated by um, the psychologists who, are wor who would build these care plans for these really quite um, uh, disrupted children, right? They, they had behavioral issues, they had emotional issues, some had significant uh, mental illness issues, um, and came from really um, uh, families that were, uh, that really struggled. And I thought, well, this is, that fascinated me, that they would create these, these plans. Uh, um, and so, you know, after I'd done that work for several years, I thought, well, I'm going to go back and get a psych degree. So I had a bunch of course, psych courses already, went back, finished my undergrad degree in psych, and then applied to graduate school, and off I went okay. to graduate school in psych, uh, and essentially trained as a psychologist. And where was that? Uh, that training happened at Lakehead. Okay. Yeah, I'd been working up north, that's sort okay. of where I settled, so okay. that was the closest post-secondary institution. They took my MAC credits. Amazing. I was happy. There you go. Um, and um, yeah, so I trained in, as a psychologist and worked as a psychologist in a hospital setting. And a friend of mine who I'd gone to graduate school with was, had been running the counseling center at Lakehead. And he was going off to Auburn. And they had had a couple of failed searches. Okay. And over a series of lunches, he sort of talked me into asking for a leave of absence from my job at the hospital okay. to go to the university. And uh, I fully expected my boss at the hospital to deny my request. But he didn't. And so I ended up at the university with a two-year, I'd made a two-year commitment to them, which lasted like 12 years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I never, I never left. Um, and yeah, and so I ran a counsel, university counseling center. And then when they started opening... Uh, at that time, they were calling them Native Student Centers. Right. I ended up uh, doing that work. Uh, in, in addition, addition to the counseling? In addition wow. to the counseling, yeah. That's a full plate. It was a full plate, but it was a very exciting time. Um, and uh, Lakehead at that time was very small and intimate and felt like a good place to be. And our, uh, our pre-interview research shows that also you were coaching volleyball at the same time? Uh, for a period of time, so um, um, uh, a fellow I knew whose name was Claude Lepre, he had been technical director for Volleyball Canada, okay. and then went to the university uh, as head coach there, and we ran into each other, and he said, oh, uh, I want, I want, can you help me set up a academic success support program for my team, because oh, cool. I want to make sure that my girls do well academically because, you know, in order to be successful, you need fourth and fifth year players. Sure. And so you got to get busy. So I said I'd do that. Uh, and so I did that and we set it up. Um, and uh, sort of I oversaw it a little bit, but there wasn't a lot of work. Um, uh, and then the next thing is, oh, I need an assistant coach. My assistant coach is leaving. Is leaving. Can you come and be assistant coach? I said, I don't have a lot of time. Um, but I said, yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and that commitment sort of was there for three or four years. Uh, and then he left to go to Pennsylvania okay. to be head women's coach. And he left suddenly, and so the athletic director said, mm, how about you, would you take on the women's team for a year? Uh, and I said, yeah, I'll take on the women's team for a year as head coach. And we had a very good year. Uh, but I was also uh, was getting married the following year. <laughs> and it was really clear to me that I couldn't 
I didn't have the time to coach women's volleyball and be married. Right. You know, you're just away too much. Sure. You know, uh, we would be away out of a 13-week semester. We'd be away seven weekends. Right. And practice. So your work and your... Yeah. Wearing all these hats. Wearing all these hats. The wedding. Yeah, so, well, I didn't have to plan the wedding. Okay. Uh, My involvement was minimal. Okay. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah, so uh, that was great, Um, and uh, I'm glad I did it, and uh, it's a good experience. Well, so many different angles in on the student experience, right? It was. Athlete experience, and looking at it from um, a few different units within a student affairs operation. That's amazing. So when. When, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that there was a shift from Lakehead then over to CNFX? Yeah, so they were looking for a dean of students. Okay. Uh, and part of the work that I had done at Lakehead was uh, helping write their um, community code. And uh, I had been trained as an investigator under the harassment policies and, okay. and that sort of stuff. Um, and had started to do a lot of committee work at the university. Uh, so that's sort of, uh, and uh, I had acted as um, director of student services a couple of times when my boss had been on mat leaves. Okay. Um, so I was sort of felt I was positioned to to make a move. Right. Um, so anyway. Move that's across. Yeah, it was a, it was a great move. Um, so yeah, they came looking, and I thought that sounded interesting. Uh, my spouse said, yeah, I'm game for an adventure. So, uh, Anna Ganesh. Anna Ganesh, Nova Scotia. Uh, and St. Vex was, it's a very unique place. Yeah. Uh, and it has a very unique culture. And it has a very unique student culture. Uh, and it was a very old institution. Right. And so, um, I think what, uh, one of the reasons that they were interested in me is they wanted to see some change happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but not too drastic. Uh, and my inclination was uh, to be quite interventionist. Yeah. So that was that was a really interesting experience, and I learned an awful lot about mm-hmm. how to navigate those institutional politics. Right. Um, Especially with a place that has lots of traditions, right? Yes. The, yeah. You know, yeah. and you know, it uh, it did had positive tradition. Uh, so you know, I you know, it was a good experience. Did some good things. Did some good work, um, but really learned an awful lot about about you know this the politics at a more senior level in, right. in institutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was there for five for five years, um, and then uh, search firm came hunting again. Uh, they were looking for a vice president of students at the University of Winnipeg. And um, um, I had grown up in a really small town okay. and was really comfortable in small town living. Sure. Laura's from Toronto. Okay. And living in a, a village of 4,000 people where there's absolutely no anonymous. You can't be anonymous. You, there's really, everybody knows who everybody is. And yeah. uh, so that was a little daunting. <laughs> and so she was looking to uh, would have enjoyed looking to enjoy a larger center. So uh, off we went to Winnipeg and just loved Winnipeg. Like Winnipeg is the most spectacular city, you know. My brother currently lives there, and it's I always look forward to the chance to visit because yeah. there's a lot going on, there's a lot true. of yeah. growth and a lot of change. Yeah. And, and the people yeah. are wonderful, yeah. and it's an old city, and it sort of still has those uh, those old neighborhoods, right? So mm. you've got Cordon and um, the Greek and Italian and Portuguese community, and then you've got Osborne, where you've got an Asian community, and you've got St. Boniface, where you can live and do anything you want to do in French. Right. Uh, you've got the North End, which is very indigenous and Eastern European. Food is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Music scene is spectacular. Awesome. Uh, all these cultural things. And I think because it's really kind of all on its own, like there's nothing else close. Right. Uh, you know, it's got this wonderful ballet, and it's got a symphony, mm-hmm. and and it's got sports teams, and people like really support the community. Right. And 
And the new, the human, I guess it's not new anymore, but yeah, the Human Rights Museum. The Human Rights Museum, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's got two universities, and it's got, uh, you know, a college, and it's, you know, almost a million people. So it was quite... It was great. It was a great, great, great living experience, and we were really happy there. And it was amazing. It was good. And in that role, was that when your work life started to involve more registrarial things? Yeah. So that that position was uh, vice president, uh, students, and registrar. So what was that like? Because had that stuff previously been in your? Program? No, that that was all new. So you had to yeah. pick it up pretty quick. I but in all honesty, you know that registrarial title at that level is. Is, is pretty honorific because okay. you have a number of associate registrars or assistant registrars, right. one enrollment, uh, uh, one admissions, you know, recruiting, recruiting. Yeah. you know, um, and they really knew their business. Um, but we did implement the new student information system while I was there. And oh gosh. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, nothing, no matter how well prepared you think you are, you're not well enough prepared. Uh, these things are always a real There's always, um, a challenge. Yeah, new surprises with any kind of large system implementation. Yes. No one saw that part coming. No. Um, <laughs> and they're very expensive, and they take a lot of time, and and um, um, they really require people to do two jobs, their regular job and then whatever work is required to, to, to bring this system online, right? So they're yeah. really quite stressful and labor-intensive, so boy, I was really grateful to every one of those poor folks who, who embarked on that. Oh, wow. Well, it sounds like I'm noticing this theme of, like, being a change agent in the roles that you're taking on, both looking at systems and also kind of trying to move cultures forward. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's a, a trend that you would observe. In kind of I think so, that. and I think people uh, um, saw that that was something that I had done and had a track record record doing Um, uh, and I you know when I uh, went to when the OUBC decided that they were going to open their Okanagan campus again that was I think one of the things that the the search firms were looking for you know Um, is there someone who can build a a community and you know um, and I spent all of my life really working in smaller institutions um, so really intimate campuses and building that kind of intimate student experience and I think that's probably something that they were looking for. And so that's, so again I guess that was the the final move because you're currently still in this position at UBC. That's the final move, yeah, it's been 12 years. Um, Who would have thought that that was, could be possible? Um, Yeah, and uh, I, so I really wasn't ready to leave Winnipeg and didn't want to leave Winnipeg and had been resisting the move. and uh, it was my spouse, Laura, who said, you know, they haven't built a new university in Canada since the 1960s. Right. And you're going to pass on this? Really? And, yeah, like, you know, uh, it's, it's, such, it's been such a compelling experience. And so for folks who might not know, you're, you're working... What is your actual title? What's my actual title... Uh, is Associate Vice President Students okay. within the UBC system. And on my campus, right. I am the Senior Student Affairs Officer. Okay. Uh, and I report to uh, my principal, which is our president. Okay. Yeah. And that's out in, and if people don't know where the Okanagan is. Yes, Kelowna, British Columbia. And it's, from all I hear, just stunning. Just a beautiful place to live. It is a beautiful place to live. Um, I didn't know anything about Kelowna before uh, we moved out. Whoa. Um, yeah. Well, being a Northern Ontario boy, you're, you know, your understanding of the world is limited. And, uh, yeah, so uh, it was a wonderful place to land. And we've really, you know, really enjoyed our time there and have made life there. Um, and wow. uh, building the campus has been just a spectacular experience. Well, and I think your perspective is so interesting because you've gone literally coast to coast in yes. terms of your work experience and different yeah. types of campuses and then a few spots in different parts of um, central Canada. Um, is there any kind of 
lessons learned around your observations around uh, the different contexts in which these institutions are situated? Uh, I think that mostly the lessons, if reflecting back, the lessons learned is on how the profession has changed. And it seemed that at each time I landed at some place, it was uh, um, simultaneous with a, sort of a shift in, in how the profession saw itself. Right. Um, so when I was at, you know, uh, at Lakehead, mostly it was about service provision, right? Sure. You had counseling services, and you had health services, and you had residence life, and you had disability services, and you had financial aid. And uh, that's what people wanted us to be doing, right? right? Um, and uh, it was quite separate from the rest of the activities uh, that the university was engaged in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then our focus slowly changed, you know, learning reconsidered comes out and and people start thinking, well, well what's my role in the educational mission of the institution, right? right. So um, you get to Winnipeg and um, all those conversations are having, we're having and, you know, we're having them uh, with our colleagues at uh, U of M. So Dave Morphy was at U of M at the time and he and I are trying to Figure out how we gonna how do we get provosts and deans and associate deans and heads right. to to understand the student experience and the seamlessness of that experience from a student perspective and and having our institutions you know reflect who our students are and and all of that right mm-hmm. um, and that was you know uh, that was heavy going because that really wasn't sort of how our academic colleagues were were seeing the world. Sure. You know. Um, and then, you know, now uh, at, uh, we're, you know, we're still in having those conversations, but now what's, you know, our role in experiential learning and in uh, student leadership right. and in developing the whole students and What's our role in discussions around access and around, you know, things like gender now? And, right. um, and in some places we, we lead, uh, and in some places we, you know, are just a, a partner. And in some places we still do all those supportive things that we've always done. So I think the expectations we have for ourselves and the institutions have for the profession have evolved. Um, but we still have all these foundational things that we still need to do, right? Um, so I sort of think of, you know, if you think of, you know, when I think of the old Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Uh, we still need to make sure that students' basic needs are, are taken care of and that they're safe and that they're secure and that they have places to live and, and you know, and then we, we, we still make sure that they have a social network and friends and, and all of that stuff, right. you know. But now we're much more engaged in their academic success with supplemental learning programs or supplemental instructions and tutoring programs and really intrusive advising kinds of things and, you know, services for international students and indigenous students and queer students and, you know. Um, and then sort of I think now the place we're all at now is, is around leadership right. and um, how are students, how can students Reconstruct their, the institution that they're they're living and working and studying in, right? Um, and so that's sort of our new piece, I, in my mind. Um, but you can't do that new piece unless all the other foundational pieces are really strong. Right. Um, so our lives, I think, as student affairs professionals, have become so much more complex, 
and the demands on us are uh, our traditional demands plus all these other new things mm -hmm. um, and um, how do we prepare ourselves to understand all of that it's, it's yeah so it's a really interesting time again yeah and if you could predict I mean you're starting to say around some of the shifts that will be taking place at our institutions um, what do you think are some of the biggest things that we're going to um, encounter on our campuses in the next maybe five or ten years uh, well part of it is I think uh, we don't really fully understand the impact of technologies Sure. Yeah, and you know we're attached to a particular pedagogical model, um, and um, I think there'll be challenges around that. Um, I don't know exactly what they are, but so I took my first MOOC this year. Okay, right? how'd that go? It was great. Um, I didn't think I'd enjoy it, um, but I actually did, uh, and um, and. Uh, but that creates access opportunities that never used to be there, right? Sure, yeah. um, but I'm not sure where our institution, where all of our faculty members are around their comfort level and their ability to sort of navigate in, in this new environment. Um, I think, you know, all of our institutions now are engaged in trying to figure out what they're going to do with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission reports yeah. and how are we going to, how are institutions going to re reconcile do, can, or uh, engage in acts of reconciliation and what will that look like? Um, and um, um, right now I think most institutions uh, have taken an approach whereby, oh, well, we're going to try and get our Indigenous faculty and staff and students to tell us how we're supposed to do that. Right. And um, you know, a bunch of us argue, well, we have nothing to reconcile with you. Like, we've been good patient partners for hundreds of years right. on this. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Canadian government has created legislations and systems and structures that really have either excluded us or put us at a disadvantaged position. I don't know that it's up to us to figure out how to fix this, mm. um, but we can be a partner in fixing it. So that I think you know, I think everybody's interested in fixing it, but um, we don't think as we haven't thought our way through about what this is going to look like and how we're going to do it and yeah. what roles people will play and whose obligation it is to do what. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to those things. I have a lot of hope. Yeah. Um, I'm not pessimistic about the future for Indigenous people in Canada, but I think um, it's going to require... Um, this is going to be a bit of hard work on everybody's part to figure this out and make it work. And do you think that there's... Um, what do you think the role is for students folks on our campuses to kind of take up these calls for action or be part of uh, these conversations in meaningful ways? Well, I think, you know, I think the first thing is just, you know, if uh, people have a full understanding of the history. Right. I think that's probably the, the thing that, you know, I would ask everybody to do is, is can you have a full understanding of the history? You know, whose traditional territories or institutions built on and do you understand who these people are? You have a, uh, you understand about you know, the Indian Act and residential schools and uh, those kinds of things. Because right. you know, knowing the history is a, a big deal, and I think just knowing the history reframes people's, how people see the, see that see the world. And I think a lot of us think we know history, but there's a lot that is absent from our. Sure. Our, our yeah. Understanding. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't have judgment about that. People can only know what they're taught. Sure. People can only know what they know. Right. Uh, so I don't hold people to account until they know. Now, once you know, you can't not know. You can't not know. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then we can move forward. Uh, so I think you know, uh, 
student affairs has a role in that, helping you, how do you help people know the history? And right. I think student affairs has a role in helping um, the institutions understand that uh, there are barriers and exclusions to participation that don't have to be there. Mm. Um, you know, we all talk about, you know, merit, meritocracy, right? Yeah. You know, UBC and U of T and McGill are infamous for, you know, this high standard that we, uh, we set. Um, but no one has ever really defined, well, what is merit? And what does merit have to look like? And why does it have to be these five grade 12 courses? Right. right. Well, and I was watching an interview that you had done on, I think it was UBC's Next Big Thing. Yeah. And you were talking about this, this notion of a playing field for students. And yeah. That using a single indicator, like your marks, is how yeah. you get access, like, as yeah. an indicator of merit. Yeah. Um, so that's one indicator of merit, yeah. and it's one that we rely on because we need some way of deciding who's eligible or who's not. But I think that we're revisiting that, yeah. and I think that's good. What does that look like? Uh, it looks great. Uh, so uh, we, uh, at our campus, uh, um, will admit any Indigenous applicant. Okay. So we have a we have a, a supportive admission structure where um, students can be admitted on their GPA. And so there are lots of really bright Indigenous students who have the 92 that it takes to get in, right. and we admit them. And then. Uh, we have, we all have our published minimums, right? You need a six, you know, in the calendar it says you need a 67 or you need a 7 to be eligible for admission. Right. But we never admit at that. But for Indigenous students, we will admit at that. Okay. Um, we have some requirements of them. We require that they take reduced course load. We, we do a bunch of intrusive advising. We uh, insist on... Peer supports and academic supports and social supports, um, and then for those students who don't even meet the minimum requirements, uh, we have a pathways program. Okay. But our pathways program um, is a pathway to any faculty in any program, um, and we have tremendous. We've been, you know, so this we've ten, we're into our tenth year of this. Amazing. Yeah, and um, so even the most unprepared student who comes into the pathways, at the end of their second year of their degree, you can't tell their performance from direct admits. Sure. So people are smart. Of course, And yeah. people can get through. Yeah. Uh, the barriers that we've created are just systemic barriers that reflect the very colonial past, right? Um, and there are pragmatic barriers. How do you take students when you, you know, the number of applicants far exceeds your ability to admit? Yeah, so uh, our last enrollment report uh, for last, uh, last academic year, um, our retention and progression rate for Indigenous students is 89%. Our overall retention rate for all students is 88%. And our retention and progression rate for Pathways students, with the most unprepared, is 87%. So if you do it right, if you put the right structures in place, they will succeed at the same rate as everybody else. So it's really awesome yeah. to know that if you're thoughtful and intentional, you can create these opportunities for people and they'll take advantage of them and be successful. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, so you've moved times for yeah. work yeah um was there a time and it sounds like you were approached like people were like okay yeah. is this great guy who would be perfect for this opportunity was there something in your heart or in your head where you knew that it was it was time to start considering something new or yeah i think so i think you know when i was director of count when i was running the counseling service um for me that was a period of that was the type of work that i could only do for so long Takes a lot, took a lot out of me. Um, other people have been able to do it all, all their careers and do it really, really well. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I had a, 
sort of a best before date and uh, was looking for something else. And I found, you know, to be you know, completely honest, I'm a much better administrator than I ever was a counselor. It's a special yeah. talent, I think. It's a, it's a special talent, and it takes a, a, um, the ability to re-energize yourself and rejuvenate yourself and, and deal with all of these hard stories in a respectful way uh, is a unique talent and I really admire those folks a tremendous amount. And then how do you know what to look for when you're looking at new opportunities? Um, well, I think it needs needs to fit. It needs to be an authentic, op it needs, you need to be authentic about it. Um, um, so I think you need to know what you're good at. I think you need to know what you believe. So I think all of us, um, as we're doing our academic preparation for this, come to this crossroads where uh, I want to teach and do research, or I want to do service. Right. And I think for I think that that's a pretty clear path. People tend to want to do one or the other. Um, and for me, uh, as I was going through graduate school and, and doing that work. That became really clear. I was raised and sort of um, shaped for a life of service, mm -hmm. and um, and a particular kind of service and a particular kind of leadership. Um, I didn't know that some of this has come to me on reflection, and you know, didn't know it at the time. But I think, you know, um, you need to really be authentic and you really need to sort of know yourself and you need to know um, what you have to offer mm -hmm. and you need to understand the environments in which you can be successful. You know, we all know people who have jumped to the, jumped to the next job or jumped to a job um, because they wanted a promotion. Or a new title, yeah. um, and didn't go well. They mm -hmm. didn't do well, or the job wasn't for them, or they weren't able to make the transition successfully. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think you can chase these things necessarily, but I think you can prepare yourself to take advantage of opportunities as they arise. Well, I think that's really interesting because I think there's a narrative around career progression that is very much around what skills or experiences can I get in order to make myself mm -hmm. um, desirable for the next thing, but we don't really talk a lot about the inner work of the kind of know thyself, um, understand your strengths and how and your values and how does that relate to the job. I don't think we um, talk about that nearly as much. No, I don't think we do. I don't think we talk about, um, you know, what kind of leader am I going to be and what leadership do I aspire to, and what experiences of leadership have I had um, that prepare me to, to do this well? You know, we tend to lead like we've been led. You know, and some of us have had very nice leadership experiences, and some of us have had really awful leadership experiences, and most of us have had a combination of the of them. Um, and uh, I was really lucky. I've had a number, a couple of really formative leadership experiences, right? Um, that really helped me understand uh, what I aspire to and what I thought good leadership was. And I've had some experiences that have really articulated for me what bad leadership is and what, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And you have to know, you, you know, and, and what's your heart like? Like, what's, you know, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm an introvert by, by temperament, right? Um, um, but, you know, within the jobs, you have to be able to be extroverting at times, right? Sure. So how do you develop that role and that skill set, you know? And uh, for me, I talk about it like it's a sweater I can put on. 
and as long as I have a clear role, although I'm going to go into this scholarship reception, and I'm going to talk to students, and I'm going to talk to donors, and I'm going to, right, I can do that. It might take an awful lot out of me, but I know what's expected. I can go and do that. Right. Um, um, and so, you know, are you acquiring these these kinds of skills? Right. Um, um, have you invested in understanding how to use metrics and data and analysis? Uh, you know, have you invested in developing some emotional intelligence and compassion? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I was lucky. Sort of one of leadership and leadership models is one of the, is one of sort of the academic interests that I have. Um, when you talk about that's a whole other conversation because that's what I'm doing my research on currently. So maybe I can follow up with you on that. That'd be amazing. Um, I also know that you've been involved with. Um, NASP in a few different ways, yeah. and some NASP knowledge communities, I and have. a few other professional organizations. I so, have. what has that been like? Uh, um, it's been really mixed. Um, uh, so, I, you know, I've been involved in the caucus for a long time, and was sort of one of the folks who got uh, NASA started uh, a long time ago. Um, and um, uh, caucus used to be much more intimate. Mm. You know, so I've been a caucus member probably like for 22 or 23 years, something like that, right? So uh, it used to be much more intimate um, and uh, much smaller. Um, and it was really good for me in my formative years. Um, a lot of the programming was focused on new professionals and mid-career professionals, lots around skills and best practices. But once you sort of get into the senior role, that our group is so small. There's only 40 of us across the country or so, right? Um, and um, uh, so there really wasn't a lot of PD that I felt was focused on helping me build my skill set as sure. a senior student affairs officer. So you look south, you look to ACAP, and you look to NASPA. Um, and oh, so I've been a member of NASPA probably for 10 years. And uh, three years ago um, was sort of um, solicited to let my name stand for uh, Region 5 rep, right? Um, um, and uh, so I did that. Um, and then um, um, the folks who I knew who were in the Indigenous Peoples Knowledge Community. Uh, their terms were coming up, and they sort of, oh, you'd be great at this. Uh, yeah. So they recruited myself and Asma High to serve as co-chairs. Uh, so our terms just ended actually last year. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, there's lots of great things about NASPA, uh, uh, but NASPA also has this very imperialist mandate, right? They, they fully uh, want to be the student organization of student affairs professionals across the world. Sure. Um, you know, so I know they have a relationship with, uh, with caucus. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't know for sure, but I suspect there's some tensions uh, there. Um, the American... Uh, system is very different than the Canadian system, right. um, and how they train their professionals is, is very different. Um, you know, there's a, a whole plethora of student affairs programs. A machine, almost. Yeah. Um, and um, um, so it was, it was interesting. Uh, you know, I continue to be a member, and I, I'm uh, at times glad I did uh, that, played that leadership role. But the NASPA machine is huge, uh, and um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and so now I've started to investigate ACPA, uh, and they're a little bit more to my liking. They seem to have more of a social justice bent. Sure. 
right? Um, and frame the profession a little bit differently than, than NASPA does. Uh, so you're a little bit more comfortable uh, there. Right. Um, um, but again, you know, um, just the size and magnitude of the U.S. industry. Enormous. It is enormous. We have no it's way very of overwhelming we have no way of trying. You know, you can't really understand it unless you sort of dip your toe in it a little bit. Um, I kind of have one last kind of formal question before we get to the lightning round. Sure. Um, which is um, just listening to um, your observations about your career paths as well as some of your involvement with um, professional organizations. It sounds like. You have been approached a few times to take on different roles, mm -hmm. um, and I also heard, heard you self describe yourself as an introvert. Mm -hmm. So how how does one? Because I hear this from a lot of young professional professionals who aren't comfortable with the networking, and they mm -hmm. might not have even knit their sweater to put on to go to those events. Um, so how do you do good work and be noticed when there's a lot of noise out there, especially if you're an introvert? Um. That's hard for me to ask, uh, answer because, um, you know, I really go out of my way to not draw attention to myself <laughs> if I can. Um, uh, so, you know, doing this interview was probably not something I would have ever volunteered to or approach someone say, oh, hey, let me, I've, right. got, I've got a story to tell. Sure. Um, um, but I feel an obligation, I think. To participate if asked, um, and uh, but I think that also has served me well. So mm -hmm. that's the, the one big piece of advice I'd give to people is, you know, if you do your work well, right. and uh, don't turn down opportunities to help yourself or help the, help the profession, mm -hmm. um, but also. Um, be the expert on your students and try to be the expert on your, or one of the experts on your profession, even if no one asks. Yeah. Right? Because um, they may not, you know. Um, uh, there are lots of really good, gregarious people out there who tend to sort of get, you know, pulled into lots of things, the go-to the go -to people, right? Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I'm really grateful for them. <laughs> but... Um, uh, but I think I think you need to be really up on your work, right. and I think if you're up on your work, you'll have those opportunities to to say something right. um, that demonstrates your capacity and uh, your expertise and your engagement. Amazing, thank you. All right, are you ready for our lightning round? I have Just short questions. What was the last book you read? Uh, the last book I read uh, was Basil Johnson's book uh, on uh, Ojibwe stories and mythology. Okay. Um, what did you think? It's awesome. Awesome? Okay, so recommended. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because Basil writes for a non-Indigenous non audience. And so he shares those stories and teachings that um, can be shared in a public way, and they're great. Nice. Um, if you could go back to Ian Cull first year, Witten Hall, yeah. and tell him something, knowing what you know now, what would you tell him? Uh, That's all going to be okay. Nice. Um, if you weren't in student affairs, what would you be doing? Oh, my God. What would I be doing? Um, probably be working in a psych unit in a hospital okay. somewhere. Um, do you have any nicknames? Uh, I, uh, I had several, not anymore. Uh, so, uh, uh, Washak is my tribal name, it means muskrat, okay. and so when I was little, uh, that was what the family uh, called me. Um, the 
men seem to have this obsession with uh, creating um, uh, derivations of your surname, mm. so sports teams, Cully, okay, yeah. which I hated, okay. um, and um, uh, yeah, those are the, the two that I remember. Gotcha. Um, Sometimes when we interview folks, especially people who are in fairly senior positions, we, I think, sometimes picture them as these perfect, fully formed humans. Yes. Um, and we never really talk about perhaps when there was a stumble or a, a mistake. Is there any time uh, where you um, have failed and you have oh. uh, made an error? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, countless, yeah. <laughs> countless times. Um, um, some big, some small, um, you know. So, you know, there's sort of three things I hold to. One is, you know, you can't talk yourself out of a mistake you, be, you behaved your way into. So when you make it, just, yes, mea culpa. Sure. Uh, so I think um, uh, that's one. I think you can't be afraid to take risks. Um, and, and I think you have to, one of the skills that we all need to learn is... Uh, to evaluate that risk, so we're taking informed risks. Right. Doesn't mean we won't go out on the little little skinny branch, but it means that we know that that branch may break and we're toast. We're toast. Hmm. Um, what is something folks might be surprised to learn about you? Things that people might be learned about me. Um, I like cooking curries, so the other Indian food. Amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, and then the last one is, do you listen to other podcasts, and if so, what are they? I do. I listen to a lot of the CBC mm. uh, podcasts, um, and um, I, I have a number of YouTube channels. Okay. Um, that I follow. Some are on leadership, some are in, on indigenous stuff, um, some are on music. Um, and um, yeah, there, I mean, there are lots of, the world is a really wonderful place and there are lots of really bright people out there. And it's so great when we can just share these. Yeah, it's awesome. I feel like now I trade podcasts with friends, like I used to trade like trading cards as a kid. Like, yeah. Which ones are you listening to? Which ones yeah. are you listening to? And it's always exciting to listen to new ones. Um, yeah, so those are kind of the rapid-fire questions. The final one is, and you know this is a relay, yeah. so you've got Pass the Baton from Mark and Amy, so do you have any folks that you think we should be um, calling up to interview next for our next relay essay interviews? Hmm. I was thinking about that. And, um, I think one of the things that we don't pay enough attention to as um, student affairs professionals uh, are those intersection places. So, um, you know, uh, international services and programs, right? Um, um, and so there's a wonderful woman who works at uh, UBC's Vancouver campus. Her name is Michelle Suderman. Okay. And, um, Michelle Suderman? Ms. Michelle Suderman. Okay. And um, will be surprised to, to get <laughs> called out by me because I, I but um, you know I think that uh, the complexity of those lives um, 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 we're not great at the intersections right we're good at our silo stuff yeah um, but you know we're not great at uh, where things get Messy, right? Um, and uh, I think that's going to be where we all go next: is getting better at navigating the messy. Mm. Um, okay, that's a yeah. great name. Awesome. Look forward to following up with Michelle. All right. Well, thanks for the time. I, you, we got you right coming out of delivering a, a workshop presentation at a conference. So thank got, you so much for got me in performance mode. Got you in performance mode. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ian. You're welcome. 
Wow, Adam, that was really, that was great. Right? There was just yeah. so much to talk about. If people are interested in following Ian, he is on the social media, on uh, Twitter, at call underscore Ian. Great. And uh, Nadia, if I wanted to tweet at you or uh, compliment you on your interview <laughs> skills or uh, throw some shade about some questions I wish you would <laughs> ask in any of these interviews. Please or... contact me at, at Nads Roses. How about <laughs> you, Adam? Um, at Adam Kuhn, K-U-H-N. Um, hashtag Relay Essay. Yeah, so if folks want to join in the conversation, use the hashtag Relay Essay, or we also use the hashtag Essay, Relay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think this is also a good time to give a shout-out to our pal Adrian Ross, who does our theme music, so mm-hmm. super grateful for him. And we also have an invitation this this season. So if anyone has uh, interesting podcast ideas regarding our profession, the things that we do, even maybe personal, please don't hesitate to reach out to Adam and myself. We are happy to help you start, stay motivated, motivated, collaborate, and share the process with you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Exciting stuff. All right. So thank you so much, and we'll uh, talk later. Bye. <laughs>